Welcome to In Social Work, the podcast series of the University at Buffalo School of Social Work at www.insocialwork.org. We're glad you could join us today. The purpose of In Social Work is to engage practitioners and researchers in lifelong learning and to promote research to practice and practice to research. We're In Social Work. Hi and Happy New Year, everybody. In downtown Buffalo, we are enjoying our new public ice skating venue at Canal Side. Here's a fun fact. It's four times the size of the ice surface at Rockefeller Center in Manhattan. I'm Peter Sabota. In this episode, our guest, Dr. Danley Werner, argues that social workers, especially those who work in schools, are on the front lines of response to community and social crises. Dr. Werner discusses her research with school social workers, exploring their perceptions of their own and their district's preparedness for crisis events. Bridging research to practice, Dr. Werner describes how social workers in schools can increase their perceived preparedness and what can be done to increase their confidence in their district's colleagues' ability to respond effectively. She concludes with recommendations on the importance of integrating students and parents in preparedness planning for crisis situations in their schools and communities. Danley Werner, Ph.D., LCSW, MPH, is Assistant Professor of Social Work at Auburn University. Her research interests include mental health disaster preparedness and response, specifically focusing on school and community personnel. Dr. Werner has also worked in disaster preparedness, public health education, and as a clinical therapist. Dr. Werner was interviewed by Lisa Caprio, an adjunct professor here at the UB School of Social Work, as well as a local school social worker. They spoke in October of 2014. This is Lisa Caprio. I am an adjunct professor here at the University at Buffalo in the School of Social Work, and today I am speaking with Dr. Danely Werner, from Auburn in Alabama. Welcome, Dr. Werner. Thank you for your time this morning. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We can just sort of go right into things here. Can you tell me a little bit about, you know, your current research, the project that you're working on? Sure. My current research is really trying to understand and look at explore how school personnel, especially social workers, are prepared for training for responding to crises. And that is something that I'm really interested in and wanting to know. We continue to see things, uh, crises happening at the school level, at all levels, from elementary through the university level. And so how are we as a profession responding to those and preparing for those? That's really the area that I'm looking at. I think that's wonderful research. I actually am a school social worker, and I work in an elementary school. And our safety team has kind of been charged with you know, unfortunately, talking about situations like active shooters and all kinds of, you know, lockout and lockdown procedures and how to best not only handle that ourselves, but then, you know, how to best prepare students for that without raising their anxiety level. 
So I think that's really interesting. What sort of got you into that? How did you get interested in that area? Well, before I came to Auburn University, I spent many years as a project coordinator at the Heartland Center for Public Health Preparedness at St. Louis University. And what we did there was we worked with public health officials across the Midwest, helping them to prepare and plan for disasters of all kinds. And what we consistently found was that mental health preparedness at all levels was on the back burner if it was on the stove at all. And so we thought, oh, this is a need. This is something we need to look at. So I began to work with some colleagues at the Missouri State Department of Health to develop specific trainings and programming to help people all over the realm of public health and social work think about how do we respond after any type of crisis. And that as I began to look at that, I really got interested in schools because it seemed that more and more that was where a hotbed of activity was happening. And so that's how I got into it and have stayed into disasters and crisis in many areas. I worked with community response after the Gulf oil spill in 2010 and um, continue to do the work within the schools. Wow, that's fabulous. I mean, it's such a needed area and um, you have such experience, I mean, dealing with such, you know, major crises, but to be able to sort of put that on a level of You know, certainly when you see something like an oil spill, you know, you think, well, that doesn't necessarily apply to me or that happened somewhere so far away from me. When you're talking about schools, like that's everybody. That's in your community. That's your children. It's your neighbor's children, things like that. And the schools after the Gulf oil spill really did feel a lot of different responses. A year after the Gulf oil spill, the schools were some of the main ones dealing with families moving and kids still having anxiety and families being thrust into poverty because of a loss of a job. So schools are really our front line when it comes to disasters. And I think once it's out of the national news, you do sort of tend to, there's so much that replaces it, so many other news stories and crises that replace it that you don't sort of always go back and think, I wonder how those children are doing or those families are faring a year, two years later, five years later. Yes, and that's what we found with the Gulf oil spill was that it was one year later that that's when the height, the community was getting the most calls a year after it was over. And so it really showed the longevity, like you said, even after the media has way moved on, but the families and the schools were still dealing with it. Oh, that's incredible work. That's wonderful. Why do you think that in general social workers should be concerned about this particular area? Well, we are the frontline workers. One, that what research has shown, what we continue to see is we're the ones out there doing the work. And so we need to be there. We need to know we're in schools, we're in the community, we're in all of these areas where disasters are touching that people sometimes forget. And so for us, it is what we do. We are trained holistically. We are the ones who can understand how all of these systems are impacted by one major or moderate crisis. And so that's what we do. Well, I really feel like that's important for our profession to continue to be actively involved. Is there a current research study going on that you're involved with? Yes. Can you tell me a little bit more about that, like who comprised your sample and how you started that and where you are now? Sure. So I wanted to look at social work personnel in the schools, so school social workers across the country, 
and I wanted to see, just in general, start to get an idea of, uh, do they feel individually prepared for a crisis? Do they feel their schools are prepared for a crisis? Kind of what kinds of crisis they have been involved in, what kinds of training they've been involved in, those type of things. And so I used an online web survey and looked at, with the group, the school social workers, Association of America is a professional group that many school social workers are members of, and so that they were my sample. And got response from across the country, around 800 people fully responded, and it was wonderful because what we found, what I found was that, yes, many times the social workers do feel individually prepared, at least moderately prepared to handle a crisis and that they feel their schools are a little bit less prepared than they are, so they don't have as much confidence in their school-wide preparedness as they do individually, which is what I figured. Usually we can be confident in what we can do, but we can't always predict our colleagues' preparedness. But what was so interesting was that we found that if a school had a crisis team, and if that person was part of the team and had helped develop or knew that they had a very well-developed comprehensive response plan and that they exercised that plan at least once a year, but preferably twice a year, those people not only felt significantly more prepared, but they felt that their schools and their colleagues were significantly more prepared to handle a crisis. And so this really said, wow, that you really need to be doing a few things. You need to make sure that you have a team. You need to make sure that you have a very well-developed plan that is exercised regularly. That is probably the biggest point that we got from this information, both quantitative and qualitative, was that you needed to be exercising. One person wrote on the qualitative part, we learn a lot while we do it. And I thought, that's such a key message, exactly. You can have this dusty piece of paper or a binder that says, here's what you do if a shooter comes in. or But if you haven't practiced it in nine months, you may forget. If you don't use it, you lose it. I also was looking at what kinds of crises the schools had. What did they consider a crisis and what were they working through individually? And at least 35% of the schools social workers that responded had experienced at least one crisis, and 42% had more than that, more than one. What types of things did they consider to be a crisis? Well, looking at their qualitative responses, we divided it into five categories, and they could respond in multiple categories, but it was having an active shooter or some type of lockdown around a weapon, and around 33% of the people responded that that had happened to them. Oh, gosh. Yeah, significantly high. I would not have guessed that. That's what I thought, too. Some of this is very disturbing because you're like, wow, 39% reported either having a death of a student or a faculty. And if you've been in a school, you can understand why that that is a crisis. Mm -hmm, That ripple effect. Yes, yes. 36% had experienced a natural disaster, and this was everything from people saying we had Hurricane Sandy to we've had earthquakes, those type of things. So natural disasters do impact your schools, and I thought, well, this is great. It shows it right here. (laughs) So, And then 24% pulled out the death of a student into suicide, either suicide of a faculty or suicide of a student, and there were both of those in that category, which I thought was also pretty high. 
then there was this other category where things kind of didn't fit, and that was everything from chemical fires and the chemistry department type things. So, and that was around 18%. They had some type of issue in that way. And so they kind of ran the gamut. But what I thought was really interesting was how many of them had experienced something like this. Mm-hmm. So the 33%, tell me again, what was that category? That was shootings or lockdowns, like lockdowns could be related to a weapon brought on school grounds or in the area. So so anything other than a drill, like an actual lockdown, an actual, wow. Yes, which, right. I mean, it really did send me into this, okay, this is something that we need to really begin to focus on, especially in our training. And I think that's another piece of why it's so important and what I'd like when I do my research, what I'm looking at is how can we practically apply these things and the exercising, understanding what schools are going through, and then really making our training collaborative with those of you in the schools who are going through this every day and meeting your needs to make you safer and the kids safer and the family safer. So what what is it that you need and what are you experiencing? And that that's really the goal of this research. So as a school social worker, as you're talking, I'm thinking certainly about my building and our administration and our teachers and already how much information I can share with them. Like I said, we do have an active safety team, but we have yet to sort of practice that drill. And we're talking about when we're going to do that, a lockdown or possibly an evacuation Recently, we had a meeting with whole faculty, and one of our local law enforcement officers came in, and we had a very sobering experience of listening to some of the 911 calls from Sandy Hook, just in an effort to help us understand from listening to that, like, what can we learn from that? What could have been done? And certainly, I'm cautious to even bring this up, because certainly not in a blaming kind of way, or, you know, not in a what should they have done But there were a couple of interesting things that came out of that, some simple procedures like making sure our doors are locked so that we are not sort of fumbling with keys or trying to just some simple things that we are held accountable for on a daily basis. So in the event of anything happening like that, that's one less thing that we have to think about. Right, and that is the key to crisis preparedness at all levels, whether you're preparing at your school or at home, is not to look at, oh, they should have done, but what can we do? Because we do, we learn from every time something happens. We should look at it from a from a perspective of, okay, now what can I take away from this as well? And so little things we often forget the simple thing of locking a door or locking windows. And you think, wow, that's so simple, but you forget it. And I think it's wonderful that you're having the law enforcement come in and talk to you because one of the other things we found in my previous life with the Heartland Center was that many times our first responders, and I put social workers in that, and our school personnel, we are first responders, they don't often talk to each other on a regular basis. And so that's really important. And so when you do your exercises to to involve those first responders who would be coming and responding or at least talking to them about it, because what if they don't know that their role in your plan? 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. Afterwards, we did sort of receive our safety plan. Like, certainly it's, it's, you know, a confidential document, but at the same time, it's like we need to be clued into that document. We need to know, okay, you know, what do we do in this situation? What do we do in that situation? And it all is really a work in progress. And it should be. One of the things that the research found, too, was that the more often you exercised your plan, the more confident the social workers became in their colleagues. And so knowing the plan was so important to individual preparedness, and so was practice. But practice also significantly enhanced your perception and belief of that everyone else around you was ready to respond. And that's really important because when you're meeting a crisis, you need to have that confidence in each other. Absolutely. So as I said, as we're talking, I'm thinking about you know what I can do and the information that I can share in my building. On a more broader scale, what do you think that social workers can offer in this area in order to meet those challenges? How do we take your research and then sort of make it applicable to, you know, not just my school district, but either in other practice or do you look towards some kind of a policy change? I would love to see some policy that required all schools to have a crisis response plan because right now they don't. Now, over 90% do, but they, unfortunately, right now, it's not a requirement, and it could be state by state, and it could be community by community. I'd also like to see some type of components that would be out of that. What should you have in a response plan? I would love to see training that was changed. One of the things that we wanted to look at with this research was what types of training had people experienced. And most often the types of training were really around one or less than one day type in-service training. And so I think that we have to start thinking about how do we train at a broader level on all areas. I'd love to see this topic be integrated more in our undergraduate and graduate programs for social work because I think that what we see is that no matter what area of social work you go into, you have the potential to work with people who are experiencing these large-scale crises, as we saw in the Gulf oil spill. We had people, the community response was vast, and you had people from all different cultures who were victims of this disaster and needed help from social workers. And so it was just really broad, and I think that that's what I would love to see. One, that we start requiring a policy where schools have some type of plan, just because we know that having a plan and having a team makes such a difference. And then to go further into saying, now how can we get this training out there for all social workers? How do we make it broad? I'd love to see mental health and and our response and, and planning and recovery be in not just school preparedness and planning, but what about the community? You know, what if a disaster happens in your community, what is the school's role? I'd love to see more people interacting together. Mm-hmm. Which makes sense because the school is such a, an integral part of a community. Yes, integrated response, integrated planning, integrated recovery. And so that really helps make the community resilient at all levels when we do those things. 
I can't help but think about the response. Like, then how do we sort of translate the message to children without raising the anxiety, but helping them be prepared? And I think about fire drills. And we are responsible for doing a specific number each fall, each spring. Our children know what to do. There's no alarm to maybe when they first hear it, maybe the kindergartners, certainly it's noisy. But it's just part of our day. It's part of what we do. Be ready for it. And I think that this is just a shift in that. It doesn't need to be, you know, I think about when I was in grade school and how we used to do air raid drills and hide under the desk in that piercing alarm. But what was interesting about that is it wasn't stressful. It was just part of one of the drills we did. And so I guess sort of being able to you know, what I would be maybe looking for is, okay, so how are we then letting our children know, okay, this is a new type of drill we're going to do, and this is the reason why we need to do it. Right. And I think that that's really, I love that thinking. I think that first it'll be tough because anytime we make change and anytime we introduce something new, we, especially as adults, get a little concerned about it. Children are so resilient. And one of the things that we can do is start to practice these things. And we need to come up with a name for them. Some people I know within schools have started doing active shooter training. I don't know if that's the best name for it. I don't know that I have a great name for it. I'm not that creative, (laughs) but (laughs) to come up with some wonderful name. But I do think that you're exactly right. If we can create something that's non-threatening, but is just integrated into the fabric of the school day, you know, okay, it's October 10th, let's do this. I think that is really important, and I do think that the kids, what we know from all type of disasters is the more you practice, and then what happens is your response and your recovery just is so much quicker because, okay, you got this. You knew what to do, and that really makes a difference in long-term recovery, especially emotional recovery. It's when something happens and we get knocked off of our, like, oh, I had no idea what to do here that's when the emotional recovery takes even longer. So the argument for integrating this into our regular drill sessions is very strong. I'm with you. That's a good policy change. Let's do that. (laughs) Exactly. I think a piece of the challenge when there is a crisis, I think some parents, certainly on the elementary school level, some parents want to protect their children from it. And other ones expect that the school will be an integral part of helping ease, you know, whatever that trauma is. So I think that continues to be a challenge. Whose responsibility is it? Well, we would certainly take it on as a school, and some parents would much rather they handle it within their homes. So that gets a little tricky at times. Yes, and that, I do think that's something that's somewhat unique to schools. You know, when you're talking about community, it's very clearly, here's what the community is responsible for. And so I think with schools, that that is something that, and especially in each different school district, you have to get the feel of your own school and your own parents and your own community. That I think there, again, there's a way to come at this that is very friendly to parents, offering trainings and chances for them to get involved and maybe giving them talking points. One of the things that the survey showed was that one of the most helpful pieces of training, of course, they were saying doing it, children's reactions, all of those kind of things, but they also said communicating with families, and that was one of the most 
helpful things in trainings that our social workers in the schools said was important. And so that told me we need to do more of that. We need to have, okay, how do we communicate with families? And then how do they communicate and understand what is an appropriate reaction for their child at that age? I think that's really important and think it's it'll have its own challenges of how do we integrate parents and families and communities into this, but I think that the end result is so beneficial that once we get there, it'll be like, why didn't we do this, you know, years ago? I'm thinking back to last school year, our department, the social work department, did have a community presentation on social media, and it was received so well, and I see this, you know, I could see how this could fit in, doing a community presentation, just sort of on this disaster preparedness. I think with the social media, so many of the parents were for lack of a better word, just kind of, you know, overwhelmed or blown away with like, oh my gosh, I didn't even realize that this was out there, that this was, I mean, there are some certainly some scary things for parents out there when it comes to some of the things that their children can be exposed to. But I think it also brings a sense of comfort, like, okay, now I know what this is and I know within my own family how I'm going to manage this. I think the same thing can be said for I think it's an excellent point for parent training. There must be so much on varying levels, but within families, parents, I'm sure, have concerns about what if this happened in my child's school? Is my child's school preparing for this? And all of that anxiety can certainly be brought down if that's like a whole support system there that I hadn't previously thought about. But why aren't we bringing the parents in and saying, this is what we're doing to prepare your children? Right. Especially when the kids go home and say, we did this today or, you know. Right. We to evacuate to uh, another building in the community. (laughs) Right, right. Right. And one of the things that would be beautiful, I think, is that when we're talking about training and preparing at schools, is to help families figure out what are some steps they can prepare at home. Because what we know is that oftentimes these situations permeate the entire community. And so they may have some anxiety around, what do I do if there's an earthquake? What do I do if there's a flood? So that's another way that helps them. And we, schools, social workers, serve as a resource for our kids' families at a larger level. Certainly. Dr. Werner, were there particular theories or theoretical frameworks that sort of shaped your area of inquiry? Yes. So I really looked at crisis intervention and the crisis theory work from Kaplan and then moved that into looking at the self-efficacy theory from Bandura that was born out of social cognitive theory because the idea really is that you have to feel that you can do it. And that was if you don't feel that you have enough efficacy to individually respond or that your school doesn't, then you're going to really be hindered in your ability to provide care for anyone, including yourself and your colleagues and, of course, the children. So those two theories really led and focused me on what do we want to look at in terms of training and response and recovery and preparedness. Mm-hmm. What I think is so valuable in just our discussion today is that, you know, we're talking about theory and research, and yet I'm walking away from this conversation having very concrete things that I can do tomorrow in school, which is amazing. You know, I mean, sometimes there's that disconnect between university work and research 
and then the practical implications. But thankfully, you know, for me, you've already done all that piece of it. And so I can just kind of go right in tomorrow and, and talk with my administrator and then be able to move that on to the crisis team. Like, hey, this is what we talked about. This is what would be really helpful that we're missing. That's exciting. Good, because that's always, when I do research, that is always what I like and I am focused on is, is what is applicable. What can we do? I just think it's really important and a piece of this research should be published this year or early next year in children and schools. And so we're really looking forward to that because hopefully it is going to get out there and we can continue to put this very, these concrete things into practice. So I appreciate, thank you for saying that. Yes, thank you. So what's next for you? Well, I want to continue. I want to continue to look at this area, but specifically I want to look at communities and maybe how all of this is integrated. So stop compartmentalizing into just schools and looking at how our schools one piece of the puzzle when we look at community response, such as what happened in the Gulf oil spill. And so when we were talking to people from the Department of Human Resources and we're talking to people from the schools and we're talking to people from all areas, the food banks and how they together were having to work to respond and provide the safety nets and things that the community needed. And it was like a light bulb moment of, okay, this is really what we need to continue to look at. And so that's next. (laughs) Wow. Well, you certainly have your work cut out for you. I'm so certainly being a school social worker, this is, you know, just a very interesting topic for me. And Dr. Werner, I, I can't thank you enough for your time this morning. Is there anything else that maybe you want to share with us that we haven't already talked about? I would just say to make sure all of you, any, anyone personally that you know, is also getting personally prepared for these type of things, whether it's a natural disaster or something that's more man-made. And so at an individual level, we are better helpers when we have prepared ourselves. And so, and I want to say thank you. It's so wonderful to talk to people who are on the front line and doing this every day. So thank you. Well, thank you again, Dr. Werner. And like I said, this is just, it's exciting research. It has such practical implications, things that we can put into practice sooner than later. And I can't thank you enough for your time. Thank you so much for your time. You've been listening to Dan Lee Werner discuss school social workers' preparedness for crisis situations on In Social Work. Hi, I'm Nancy Smith, Professor and Dean of the University at Buffalo School of Social Work. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We look forward to your continued support of the series. For more information about who we are as a school, our history, our programs, and what we do, we invite you to visit our website at www.socialwork.buffalo.edu.